I wonder if you've ever heard of Roger Beaujolais. Go ahead and say it, Beaujolais. You got to do a little nasally thing because it's French. And <laughs> does the name ring a bell? He is famous or infamous at NASA. You see, it was Roger Beaujolais who had realized that under cold weather, there was danger of an O-ring, a key O-ring failing. You see, as the uh, Challenger sat on the launching pad, all night long and into the morning, he warned NASA that there was great danger because unseasonably cold in that late January, the temperatures were going to drop to about freezing. And he pleaded with them to delay that launch, but they would not. And into, uh, under a minute, as that, that great challenger was launched, that O-ring did indeed fail, just as Roger Bourgelet had warned them. The rocket leaked into the hydrogen tank. Everything exploded, and everyone on board was instantly killed. Seventeen years after this investigation that demonstrated that there was a real, indeed, issue at NASA, that they were less concerned about safety than impressing the people that funded their program. Seventeen years later, there was another ship that went up, Columbia, and the same arrogance that caused the problem which challenged her, caused the loss of life. Because of the investigation, because of 17 years of warning, they had blackballed this man. And his words on NASA were this, that because of this arrogance and negligence and, and failure to heed the warnings of those who knew, the people who led this should be in jail charged with murder because they would not listen. They would not listen. Friends, I hope that that turns on your ears this morning because it is of utmost importance that we as the children of God listen to the Word of God. And I don't just mean the vibrations going through the air into our ears I'm talking about heating today. Hmm. Some people, unfortunately, don't seem to ever listen. They say they'll figure it out on their own. Well, it doesn't matter. They'll just try again a different way. And they never seem to listen. And as the great King Solomon once warned, friends, that fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so this morning, we're going to have a little test. And the test is between you and God this morning. As we come to the conclusion of our study in 2 Corinthians, Paul closes this letter with three instructions. Three instructions. You see, Paul, at the end of this letter, is telling them that he is soon to come. And that they ought to be ready. 
And I suppose we could take these three instructions, looking at them in the context that Jesus is coming. Friends, we could even say that Monday is coming, and we would do well to take heed to these instructions. These are the essentials, friends. These are not the the buffet desserts that you can take it or leave it, my friends. This is the Word of God laying forth some very clear steps that each one of us ought to take this morning. So I want you to join me in chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians as we look at three instructions here this morning that were not just for the church in Corinth. Friends, they are for you this morning, and they are for me. So take a look, if you will, in verse 1. We find the first instruction in this context. This is the third time that I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent as I did when present on my second visit. And the first instruction that we are going to discover here in verses 1 to 4 is that you ought to be ready for the visit. Be ready for the visit. Well, my friends, we don't know the day or the hour in which Jesus will return. One thing we know for certain is that he will. We will stand before him, my friends, be ready for the visit. And Paul lays out this threefold witness against them. Now, you will notice that he quoted the Old Testament law that says that, the, that every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And you know that as we have studied through this book, yet once again, Paul has some charges against the people of God. There are some issues at stake that Paul wants to deal with. Why? Because he stands over them as a judge? No. Because Paul loves this church and knows that they can never be or experience what it is that God would have for them as long as these issues are in their lives. You will notice these uh, threefold witnesses. He says, he says, verse 2, I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, just as I just as I did when present on my second visit, over and over again, Paul says, I'm not letting this stuff go. Over and over again, friends, this means life. I can't just let it slide. When you see people harming themselves with their choices, what kind of monster just stands back and lets it happen? But Paul, in verse uh, end of verse 2, he gives a warning to them. He says that if I come again, I will not spare them. You see, apparently, Paul took this sin thing really serious. I mean, it's a little different than our culture, where we tend to call these things mistakes, as if we didn't mean it when we chose to go our own path. When we knew what was right, but we still chose to do what we did. 
or we we decided we wouldn't do what it is that God called us to do because sin can be both active and passive, my friends. It's not just the things you do, but it is also the things you refuse to do. And so Paul has a warning. And Paul will reprove his authority. Remember, throughout this letter, there was one accusation after another about Paul. That he, wasn't, he didn't have the authority. That he was strong in his letters, but weak in his presence. And he answered every one of those, not because it was an offense to him personally, but that Paul saw this as just the same way that Israel's poor response to Moses wasn't about Moses at all. It was about their attitude toward God. Paul would prove his authority to them. He says in verse 3, Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, again, an answer to their accusations, do you really speak for Jesus? Paul says, if you want, if you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. And so Paul does not come in his own power, but Paul comes in the power of God. And by the way, friends, it is the same power that you and I have available to us. It is a, a wonderful thing just uh, listening to the radio on the way in, you know, an illustration about Superman, you know. He's got the cloak, but underneath, he's got the suit, you know. It's not just about the suit and tie. It's about the suit with a cape that rests underneath, and the same is true of us. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have the power that rose Jesus from the dead, And I suppose a lot like uh, prayer, that power is only available to us by the will of God. It is when we are pursuing the will of God and when we are plowing for the will of God and when we minister for the Word of God, not for our own personal interests, that we have the power of God. And so Paul was just exercising the same things that you and I have, friends, the power of God and the calling of God. And so the first instruction that we find here, my friends, is that we ought to be ready for a visit. And you know what that looks like. Think about it at home, you know. You know, the bed in the guest bedroom, it's all made, but you're going to clear those off in lawn. Get some fresh sheets on there for those visitors, you know, or clean off the sofa or whatever it looks like for the guests coming in. But there's always some kind of preparation. Let's see, what do we got in the fridge and the cupboards for a meal? And you start thinking your way through, and actions must be taken if you're going to be ready. And so Paul, Paul warns them, be ready for this visit. Be ready. Don't take it as something that doesn't matter, my friends. Act today. But then we have a second warning here. Second set of instructions is what we find as we get to verse 5. Paul says, not only be ready for my visit, how about let's just go a little deeper here, my friends. And let's not just leave it for the church at Corinth. Let's all take a moment to obey this instruction right now. Paul says here in verse 5, 
He says here in verse 5, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Paul's instruction is to be sure you're saved. If the first instruction to be ready for my visit means to take care of sin, then be sure you're saved means to confirm your salvation. It is a great question, and perhaps that is something that you've thought about in the past. Is it real? Is this true? And what about me? Is my salvation real? I mean, did I actually trust Jesus? You know, there are some satire websites uh, about everything. The Onion, I think, is a famous one. But uh, there, is, there is a website called the Babylon Bee. And, and it is a Christian satire website. And it helps us laugh at our weaknesses. One of them was an article about a young man who had rededicated his life for the sixth time and reporting that that one ought to do it. You know, it is that constant question. Did I mean it when I asked Jesus to forgive it? I mean, was it real? Was it authentic? And the question is not what you did as a kid. The only question that matters is right now, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin based on the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf? Friends, it, it, you know, when you walk through the gates of heaven, it won't, uh, it won't matter that you got the date wrong or that you got it right or you had it written in the Bible or you didn't. The only thing that matters is that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, so really, have you? I mean, think about that for just a moment. Are you really trusting in Jesus? You know, I didn't ask you if you believe you should. I'm asking, are you trusting in Jesus today? Is it the real deal, friends? Or is it something you talk about? Remember, the issue isn't what you think is true. The issue is what you have done about the truth. Be ready for my visit. Take care of your sin. And examine yourselves. Look at the question here in verse 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And so examine yourselves. Here's the question. Are you in the faith? Are you a hanger-on? Are you a edge of the crowd moving with other people? Is it because your parents brought you here oh so long ago and it was just a habit? Is it because your friends are here and that's why you come? Friends, I hope you have friends here, and I hope that's one of the reasons you're excited to come, my friends. But one of the reasons, the main reason we get together on a Sunday morning is to worship the one who saved us, the one who has given us new life. You experience in that new life, my friends? It would do us all well to ask the question, is it real? Confirm your salvation, friends. Examine yourselves and ask this question. Are you in the faith? But notice Paul continues here in verse 5. He says, test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Christ is in you. 
unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Is the evidence of Christ's work in your life there? I mean, are you a different person since you've put your faith in Jesus? When you connect with those people who knew you way back then, do they notice something a little different about you? And I'm not talking about the color of your hair. Do they see Jesus in your life? Does your faith in Christ choose you to, or cause you to see people differently? Cause you to make different choices? To love different things? Is your appetite new and fresh? And I'm not talking about food, my friends. I'm talking about the Word of God. It is an innate appetite for a newborn to eat. Sometimes we get lazy later on, my friends. But examine yourselves. Are you in the faith? And test yourselves. Is Jesus in you? He's talking about the work of God in your life. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? And why ought we to be asking these questions? Well, I think the answer is inherent in the questions themselves. Because if we are not, we are in a dangerous place. But do it so that you will do what is right. Regardless of what they think of Paul here, they ought to make the right choice. Look at I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right. That we may seem to have failed. Regardless of what you think about me, Paul is saying, think about you in Jesus. You want to throw the accusations around, knock yourself out, but make sure you are in Jesus. Three instructions we have here today, my friends. Be ready for a visit. Take your sin serious, my friends. And be sure you're saved. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Are you in the faith? And is Jesus in you? Hmm. And here's the third. In verse 8. Be mature in your faith. If, my friends... You are in the faith, and Christ is in you, then grow. Pursue sanctification. Be mature in your faith. Maturity is about growth. Now, some things grow regardless of what we do. You know, unintentional growth sometimes just plain happens due to the experiences. You know, you walk into a door, hey, you know, don't read your phone while you're walking down the hall. Lesson learned, you know. But friends, we're not talking about, you know, just the experiential stuff. We're talking about the intentionality of growing, of doing that which builds up our faith, our understanding of who God is, so that we know how to respond to the issues and circumstances of life. The time to grow is not when you need it. The time to grow is before. You prepare yourself for what may ever, may, what may come. 
And we don't know life surprises us. It takes us from us. It gives to us. And, and we got to be ready for it. And the only way to do it is to be intentional about it. Life can't just be lived from the point of, well, we'll figure it out when we get there. I mean, that's, that's always a fun driving solution. I don't know. It's in this direction somewhere. We'll find a street we recognize. Am I right, ladies? Huh? Yeah? All right. Uh, I'm talking about the guys here, you know. <laughs> but you know why that, uh, the guys do that, by the way? They have more iron in their nose. Men are human compi. Is that the plural of compass? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but somebody told it to me, and I thought it was funny. It might be the case. I don't know. But my friends, we've got to grow up. Maturity is the goal, verse 8. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. What is the goal of your life? What is the purpose of your life? What are the guardrails of your life? Friends, one of the lessons that the McGrath family learned in the recent tragedy is this. That truth doesn't take away the tears Truth keeps us on the road and going forward. It is the guardrails that keep us from going off the deep end of blaming God, of of giving up. Truth keeps you moving forward when everything is falling apart. Friends, the truth matters. The truth matters. Can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we were glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. That's growth. Reconciling broken relationships is the very issue of the cross. Why did Jesus come? To reconcile man to God and to reconcile man to man, woman to woman, parent to child. Reconciliation, my friends. Restoration. And Paul says, that is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things. While I am away from you, that when I come, I might not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up edification, making strong, good, healthy roots. My friends, it is about growth. What does it take? What is the one thing that you could do this week, one change, one addition or subtraction, maybe both, that moves toward growth in your life. One step at a time. It may not change it all tomorrow, my friends, but in the weeks and the months and the years to come. What can you do? What steps do you need to take? I'll tell you, one of the big ones is time in prayer, connecting with the God who saved you and listening to him. Not just talking to him, but listening to him. How do we do that? By reading the word of God. When the word of God is in us, it is the GPS coordinates that the spirit of God uses to direct us. My friends, Take what is necessary, whatever those steps may be. Friends, just pick one. Add another one later. Master this one. Make it a habit of your life. And then you come to realize 
How could you possibly have lived without it? Take the steps for growth, my friends. And oh, by the way, I love that Paul does this. I love that the Spirit of God led him to do it. He reminds us that maturity is marked by unity. You know, see that word, that restoration? Hmm. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. He says, aim for restoration. There it is again. And comfort one another. Oh, and there we are talking about relationships with one another. He says, agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And all the saints greet you. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. It's all about relationship, my friends. The essence of the Christian life is the vertical, our relationship with God lived out in a relationship with others. Three simple instructions that will change your life, my friends. If you take heed to these instructions today, a year from now, you will be a different man, a different woman. Your life will be different. Your perspectives will be different. And your joy will overflow. I promise you these things not because I'm a salesperson, but because I've experienced it, because I've read about it, because I've seen it in other people's lives as well. Friends, the opportunity lies before you here today. The greatest gift is to heed the instruction, the truth that leads to life. It lays before you. Sermon in a sentence? Never waste a warning that's given to you for your good. Never waste a warning that is given to you for your good. A couple of truths, maybe some nails to tack it down here, friends. How about this one? Your sin is trying to kill you. Kick the habit. Stop blowing it off. Stop calling it a mistake. Stop excusing your rebellion against God. My friends, it's trying to kill you. Sin will destroy you and everyone around you and every relationship that ever mattered. Friends, don't play around. And just between you and God this morning, is it real? I mean, is it real? Just between you and God, answer the question, is it real? You can fool anybody on this planet but you can't fool God about this stuff. Is it real? I mean, is it the real deal? Is Christianity, is God the very center of all that you do? Is it real? And my friends, if it's real, it'll grow. If it's real, it'll grow. Because that's what real, healthy things do is they grow. You know, plastic plants. <laughs> Uh, I had a big ficus tree in my office, and it was, it was faux green. <laughs> I mean, it was a cool idea, except it was dead. 
And it never looked any different any day. The wonderful thing about spring, isn't, isn't it just amazing? Are you watching the trees and they're turning green and all those little buds are becoming leaves? And, and it is wonderful that it changes in front of us because that's what real things do. They live and they grow. And what about you? Don't be a plastic plant. Friends, the the goal, according to John 15, is to give fruit. Fruit is the result of life. And what is the fruit of your life? In 1969, in past Christian Mississippi, there was a storm brewing. And there was a group of people that, uh, about 20 so, or, uh, you know, they, they met in this apartment to have, a, to have a party, a hurricane party is what they called it. They were just going to hoot and holler the night away. Well, everyone feared and hid. And the wind was howling outside these apartments when Police Chief Jerry Peralta stopped by. He got out of his car and saw a guy up on the deck and says, you got to get out of here. This storm is a lot worse than they thought it would be. The guy kind of laughed about it. And he says, we ain't going anywhere. We're having fun. And by that time, more people came out on the deck. They all had little cups in their hands, swirling their drinks. And this chief, he pleaded with them. This isn't a joke. Get out of here. The storm is heading exactly this way. But they laughed. So up he went. And he says, if you're not going to leave here, then I need some names. And he asked for the next of kin and every name of everybody that was there. True story. God says, if you're not going to leave, we got to have some numbers and names to tell people what happened here. Unless the, the storm, it came, it uh, didn't arrest anyone, didn't chase them off. But at 10.15 that night, the front wall of the storm came through and scientists clocked Hurricane Camille at over 200 miles an hour. I mean, the, the crest of these waves were 28 feet high. They were 250 feet from the shore of this apartment. Strongest on record. The raindrops hit with a force of bullets. I mean, this wind was so strong. And the next morning, this man drove out to see nothing but the foundation. These people died foolishly because they would not heed this man's warning. So what about you? All of them dead. Families weeping and mourning this foolish loss. But thus is the fate of all who will not heed the warning. God help us.